This is Big Man Tyrone, and you're about to watch the MTG Cabal cast with your hosts, Wood, Thirsty, and Reptar. Sub to us on all your podcast networks at MTG Cabal Cast and YouTube. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to uh, our interview with uh, Zieva, owner of Wandering Wolf Games and Toys up here in uh, Vermont. I really encourage you to go back and listen to part one if you haven't, because we cover a lot of ground about what it's like to open your own business uh, from the start and be uh, essentially sole proprietor, i.e. one employee only, and how that works across multiple categories. And it, it's primo for people who want to work in the space and want to make this their, their job, not just a side gig. Uh, so... Uh, in the, the previous episode, we talked a little bit about your categories being Magic, Yu-Gi-Oh, Pokemon, and now Dragon Ball Super. Yep. And how they each have their own tournament series. They're all, you know, going at once. When you're looking for cards, let's say, uh, we'll do this in two steps. The first will be about individual cards when you're searching marketplaces. The other will be about uh, what keys you in for collections. Gotcha. And then across all categories, please. Okay. So when you're looking at individual cards to pick up, what kind of cards do you generally target? So we can start with uh, Magic, because that's the one you and I have both been interacting with the longest. Sounds good. Yeah, for Magic, I generally look for cards that I see, like, have usually a few printings, like not too many reprints, and mm -hmm. also... I think either are seeing an uptick in popularity or could. Like when Pioneer was announced, the one I zeroed down was Searing Blood, which hasn't paid off yet, but I think the reasoning behind it was sound. Okay. That it's going to be like a card the red deck just wants to play. Like, uh, period. I, I agree. Um, a lot of conversation I've been having in regards to the red deck and Pioneer is that until the format is settled enough that you've decided that your base level zero deck is either going to be red aggro or green aggro you won't have a standardized version yeah of the red deck in particular if the red deck has to punch up and deal with things like steel leaf champion out of the green deck then you're going to see a lot of different ways to build that deck going a little bit bigger uh with like torbran and phoenixes or staying small and low to the ground in which case that's where searing blood kind of pops that deals yeah that, that version is going to want to deal a ton of damage with those early creatures, kind of the way it does in Modern and Legacy. Definitely. So. Although, now you've said Torbrand and I started thinking about Searing Blooding, a Steel Leaf champion with Torbrand in play. Torbrand it's pretty is, funny. It, Torbrand is a good card, and we figure no matter which way you play the red deck, either be yeah. a little bit bigger or a little bit smaller... Uh, you're only going to have so many cards fighting for that four drop slot, so it's not Tor if it's on Torbred, it might be one of the Phoenixes uh, that costs four, or maybe Chandra Tod. Uh, yeah, the four drop. There are a lot of very powerful options, but what comes before those cards in the curve also matters a lot. Mm. Torbred seems like the kind of card that would enjoy all the token makers in the format because all your one ones become three ones. Definitely. So, uh, interesting card to work around. So. Yeah. Uh, that's from Magic. What about Yu-Gi-Oh? Yu-Gi-Oh, um, I don't really know enough about how the game plays at the highest levels to make picks in that regard, but one thing I look out for when I'm like going through collections is just first editions of the older sets, like from Legend of Blue Eyes to uh, 
uh, I want to say Phantom Darkness, but that's kind of just arbitrary. It's okay. just LOB and on. Like, I want to say early synchros is okay. when you want to look for first editions. And does that account for also, like, uh, Dark Magician and Dark Magician's Girl in those sets as well? Yeah, those are usually pretty good to pull, depending on which printing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dark Magician is pretty safe. Dark Magician, it's, or Dark Magician Girl is for one who you can usually get some value out of. Dark Magician is one printing that's like, has a lot of printings that are pretty worthless, actually. Yeah, oh, yeah. oh I know that. When it comes to both of those cards in particular, like working anime cons, I know if it's not a first edition, it's not worth looking up. Yeah. I know very little about Yu-Gi-Oh, but that's it. Gotcha. <laughs> and uh, the 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 Wrath of God, it starts with the letter R. Regeki. Regeki, yeah. Yeah. That card is can be everything or nothing, depending on whether it's being played. Yeah, depending so. on where it is on the ban list. Yes. And uh, one of the pots as well, I think, is like that. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of those. Mm-hmm. And uh, so both both those games have been around for a while, uh, and Yu-Gi-Oh! offers a, a pretty unique for instance case in uh first editions versus non what about pokemon pokemon um same story as Yu-Gi-Oh. i'm still working on figuring out how the game operates on the higher tiers of play but in that one i've noticed uh that i mean i don't think this is an observation unique to me but the watsi era sets are the ones that just <coughs> are in the same ballpark as old school magic cards and yep. that they just keep creeping up and hold their value so when you're going through a collection you're going to want to pull those out because those are going to ping buy lists or you might find random people in your area building sets yes uh, those. and for people who aren't in the know about pokemon that is i believe in order base jungle fossil base to rocket and i don't think jim was under watsi the first they, gym set but they, they were yeah okay we got all the way up to those weird e-reader sets with Wizards of the Coast. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because it was the, the Game Boy plug-in. I forgot what yeah. they did. Yeah. I okay. mean, it was pretty fun. Like, I, I kept the Holo and Rapidash one with the e-reader until I sold them to my old workplace. It's yeah. a fun game. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and uh, a lot of that is also, the, like, the nostalgia hype because of Pokemon Go. Yeah, definitely. Did things for Pokemon when it was when you were looking for uh, singles in particular? Let's just talk about collections yet. Yeah, just singles mm-hmm. overall. Did that become a little clearer with the nostalgia bump? Did you know like okay, the the Watsi era stuff is really what I want to move on because this is going going up 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 up, or were you still kind of figuring things out when the nostalgia hit? I was still figuring things out when the nostalgia hit. I had um, that was around when I had tried my business for the first time okay. and i picked up a collection and wound up just sitting on it for a while because my life was so uh yep. <laughs> at the time and then i looked back later and it was like oh wow everything went up <laughs> it's, it's a pleasant surprise yeah um has i can't remember the name of it but the the reprint base where they brought everything from the original base up to xy evolutions yeah did that do anything in regards to not pumping up the old cards value but did any of those cards actually i don't think they did like let me just see if i can xy 
I'm just going to look at the ECG player price guide because I'm curious. Okay. Because I remember when those packs first came out, people were cracking them, and I was looking at somebody's binder. I was like, wow, I remember all these cards, but with different text because everything was a Poke Power. It wasn't like a Poke Body or a type or what have you. Yeah. Oh, yeah, this set, uh, this set is uh, pretty Garbo. Okay. Just a little yeah. OEV all around. Yeah, even Secret Rare Surfing Pikachu doesn't crack a dollar. Sad days. Oh, but that was in the set overall? That wasn't uh, a handout like it used to be? Yeah, they, I guess it's... Well, I can't zoom in on TCG Player, but it looks like it was in the set along with Imakuni, Zdo Duo, yep. which had this really cool ability where you throw it across the room to retreat. <laughs> when this Do Duo retreats, hold this card and throw it as hard as you can because Do Duo is running away. Okay. You throw the card horizontally with a snap to get the furthest distance. And it says, like, on the bottom, this card not legal for serious games. But <laughs> Okay. I like so that. It also, yeah, it's also, like, the Bah Humbug magic card. You have to start singing. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's pretty funny. Yeah. Um, so even now, it's but you're basically just looking at the Watsi era Pokemon stuff. Yeah. There are, like, uh, the... Competitive scene does drive a lot of the new prices, especially mm -hmm. around foil commons and uncommons, and the uh, secret rare versions of those. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I know they started uh, for base set. You either had hollow rares mm. or non-hollow rares, and they only came in that edition. So or that style. So you could only get Charizard as a foil, Electabuzz as a non-foil. In the next yep. set, Jungle. Uh, you could have foil or non-foil of each card, and then first edition or not first edition, uh, like with the original base set. Have you found that for the the sets after base that uh, the first edition stamp makes a lot of difference on the non-foil cards? It does, yeah. Okay. Like, you're looking at the difference between... It's just like... I think it's usually like under a dollar to two to three dollars jump. Okay. Depend off the top of my head, uh, yeah, it's like for, super off the hip. Yeah, for the lower level stuff, but for yeah. for a for a little while things were kind of muddy. Like your high end cards were playables; they weren't like notable Pokemon. You didn't have Charizard in Jungle or Fossil, right? You had like yeah. Scyther, Wigglytuff, and Aerodactyl. They finished out uh, the bird cycle, so you had you had all the birds, which might actually hold value. And the evolutions for that point were finally finished. I think the big bucks are in Jungle are actually the evolutions now. There you go. Yeah. So, which makes sense. And then uh, there's the hidden card. Rocket is it the Rocket Raichu, or Dark Raichu? Oh, yeah. It was uh, one over the set number. Was the first time Watsi did that, I think. That was Dark Raichu from mm -hmm. Team Rocket. Yeah. And like there was some error on some of them too, or something. Oh, there were errors all over that game. There's a certain uh, yeah. vile plume from Jungle whose weakness is fighting instead of fire, <laughs> but it's like not first edition. All vile plumes. It's like first edition foil vile plumes, but not first edition non foil. Like, it's yeah. a super weird niche thing. That's kind of interesting. Agreed. Uh, so, super. This yeah. is kind of a new game for everybody right now. And the, from what I've been hearing in other discords, the supermarket is starting to really pick up now, or around the world. Like globally, it's picking up. It's no longer just casual fans of the game. Is yeah. It, have you kind of figured out a niche in regards to like specific targets for that game because it's very much based on a, a fandom? Yeah, I have not yet. I have noticed like 
the um, the overall card prices are fairly cheap compared to what we're used to seeing in Magic or Yu-Gi-Oh, but the 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 foil printings of staples, commons and uncommons, tend to be worth uh, tend to be the heavy hitters yes. consistently, and the they have these things called ultimate rares, which you can only have one per deck. Mm-hmm. And they tend to be really, really, really good. So it's like a so, GX, right? In Pokemon? Like the same I think, thing? Or a Mega, I think, one another? I'm not sure about the Mega. I think you can have multiple GXs, though. Maybe you can only use one GX attack in a game. That's it. You okay. can only use one GX attack per game. But these are like... They tend to be in the 60-plus range, I believe. Wow. Just below end for those cards. When I was busting packs for product, when I tried that, mm-hmm. the one I pulled was like 90 at the time. Mm-hmm. But those cards are what I would compare to like like a Jace from Mind Sculptor. Yeah. Like you need it to really play competitively, but it's something that's just going to sit in the case for a while until that one person needs it for their deck. Yeah, and that's kind of what. Uh... That's a, a very good explanation of what I meant when I said we're finally starting to see cards move worldwide at real prices. The majority of these cards are for fandom, so people are going to play their Yamcha deck, but they're, a lot of the Yamcha stuff isn't going to be expensive. But yeah. cards like uh, Sensu Bean is a common. Like foil yeah. Sensu Beans are expensive because, like you said, they are a heavy hitter in this game. Everybody has to play Sensu Beans to some degree. Exactly. And Sensu Beans, I guess, most analogous to Dark Ritual or Plus Rampant Growth or something, right? Yeah, it's it's some ridiculous card in the game. Uh, like Of the, the number of times I've bought singles... That was the first lesson I learned, was if yeah. there's Sensu Beans in the stack, it doesn't matter foil or not, check them, because at, as somebody who works for Troll and Toad on the occasion, our audience is huge, and they buy both foil and non-foil. But that is yeah. a common that people will will buy all the time, just like Dark Ritual and Rampant Growth. It's like, I guess if I was going to pick a price point to compare it to before it got reprinted in Magnificent Collection, it'd be mm-hmm. like Wild Slash when Pioneer was announced. Oh yeah, immediately like a $7 card, yeah. That's interesting. It's kind of like Super and Transformers are are really interesting to look at because they're moving from this kind of dormant casual state into competitive games both. And so the marketplaces are just starting to really burgeon up and become... The respectable is not the right word, but be... um, hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Maybe respectable is is the correct word. Like, the early Pokemon market was not a respectable market to begin with, because Charizard was everything and nothing else was anything. Right. But now there's real prices being put on real cards for tournament staples. So it's becoming, you know, it's an evolving marketplace. Yeah. And it's kind of growing into its own. Uh, Yeah. I did not know about Transformers. That's good to know. uh, Yeah, it's mainly because uh, how the game started. There was an announcement there would be no tournaments. The game, the WotC would not... uh, sponsor tournaments then the player said yeah but we want to play tournaments so what he said here is a very small amount of resources for it and that's just snowballed out of control so to speak (laughs) to the point where the initial view for the magic the gathering judge center was to include keyforge and transformers they're the first two games that are going to be plugged into the new judge apps oh wow so they they are becoming real at least transformers is in that regard because it's owned by watsi super is not so that's that's on, yeah. on that company to handle. Um, right, right. But 
so that, that's in regards to singles. Collection buying is completely different, as most people know. You know, you, sometimes you want to scour for value across the collection ahead of time, look at photos, and say, okay, this is definitely a collection I'm going to uh, attempt to make an offer on, be it in person or, or online, and then kind of seal the deal. Uh, is there anything? Yeah. I think, I think asking uh, for what your strategy is is the better question than is there anything you look for when you're looking at a collection? That makes sense. Yeah, I so, like. Oh, sorry, go ahead. If it's different, uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to go down uh, the games again. Otherwise, if it's one unique strategy, then uh, by all means, we can talk about that. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Let me just think for a second. Sure. That my overall strategy for buying, I like to go in as prepared as I possibly can. So if I can get a list from them beforehand, mm -hmm. this is across all games, I should say. Okay. Like that's great, especially. Like, if they're looking to get a quote before a meetup, mm -hmm. then I really need a list with the set details for Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh! And Super, really, because those card games have so many of the same name. Yes. And they're such a huge variable that I really need that information to make an informed offer. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just, like... brain freeze no it, it's fine because this is a a, yeah. a big question and a big topic right? yeah i know when i collection buy uh, the first thing i do is because i i haven't bought a collection in a while and facebook marketplace had not really come up so i was only using craigslist mm -hmm. and from my experience working on craigslist not a lot of people are apt to send you a f an itemized list yeah so i was combing images ahead of time images and, definitely helped me a lot too it's it can be tough depending on the quality, but those are mm -hmm. a big thing I look at. Like, I guess what I'm trying to get at here is that I try to get as much information about the collection as possible. And if oh, it's, yeah. yeah, I don't tend to pursue the ones that are like 2,000 magic cards. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Those, here's a box. Here's a photo of a box of cards. Yeah. Do you want to take the time to ask for more? photos or an itemized list uh, yeah it's probably not worth your time to to go on that when there are now at facebook marketplace so many other collections that are going to be more worth your time and upfront yeah. about what's contained within them than to try and suss out what is in that you know shoe yeah. box of cards so to speak and when i do have that information i like to do my just double check the heavy hitters i see so mm -hmm. that way i'm on top of things when they do ask well what's this one at and why is it that number? Yes. I can give them just like right off the cuff answers as to why. So, I mean, this shouldn't come as a surprise to folks, but it's just all about being prepared mm -hmm. and knowing your stuff so that the buyer has confidence, sorry, if the seller has yes. confidence that they're dealing with someone on the up and up who's going to take care of them. Oh, absolutely. And I think one of the big things that kind of goes unsaid is that when you're making that initial offer, there is always the text of this is based on what I see and assumed conditions. Exactly. The seller is understanding of the fact that things might change in their favor or in your favor, depending on condition and what really is going on when you get there. And I just want to emphasize what you just said about condition, because that is huge. If you're making an offer on something, you really need to have that like text in there or whatever, mention it, because that is like, I mean, that is a deal breaker on so many old school cards, yes. especially for Yu-Gi-Oh and Pokemon. Yep especially for Yu-Gi-Oh! because the cards are made out of, I don't know, cheese. They right. just fall apart. Yep. <laughs> yeah, you can keep them at, 
in anything but sleeves, and they'll just immediately start looking like alpha cut cards. Those corners are not good. Yeah, luckily the, collection, the big collection I bought that I mentioned to you came in just a weatherproof container, so oh, it didn't matter awesome. if they weren't sleeved. Oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah. No, I, uh, I, I like that. And I, I like the highlight of knowing when to pass on a collection just based on the information presented to you. Yeah. You know, especially as a store owner, your time is worth a lot more money than somebody who's doing this as a side hustle and could deal with that person over days. Also, just for anecdotal evidence as to why you don't want to do this, I did that once mm -hmm. and got uh, two photos of handwritten lists of just nothing but fallen empires and every bad card from revised. Solid. <laughs> and at that like, point, I, it's not yeah. worth either of your time. Yeah, I felt bad asking for a person for a list because it was like I, I got what I asked for. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was just such a mismanagement of time on that rent. Yeah. So it, it's good to know that there's also just a kind of unique strategy that can be applied to collection and buying as a whole across all games. But in the end, it does come down to having that root knowledge of you know, the games and prices uh, themselves. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So uh, to, to take a step back a little bit from strategy in regards to uh, buying and selling. So when you started up as your company, you started Wonder Wolf Games and Toys. Did you have a particular uh, goal in mind in regards to where you wanted to take the company? Did you want to open a store and actually own a brick and mortar? Or did you always want to kind of be that lone wolf, so to speak? Uh in the beginning, the I didn't really have a goal per se, but the second time I started up, I have a more concrete plan for things. Mm -hmm. It's I want to use my utilize like uh, just go out to shows, be like someone who can be like uh, hired gun for other vendors, and just show, I guess. It's not really the right words. Representation is what I'm trying to get at. Like, I want to be the person I wish I'd seen when I was first going to GPs, standing behind a booth. Okay. And, like, just having a trans pride flag next to my uh, uh, banner. Mm -hmm. That kind of thing is big for me. And also just, like, being able to start traveling and connecting with people who love magic again. That's a big goal for me. So just being able to be, like, that lone wolf vendor who can also work for someone else when the opportunity arises you know yeah no it makes sense because there are a lot of names and faces in this space that you will see at you know magic fests you know mm -hmm. all over and you recognize in short order that there are a lot of people that just work for a number of vendors for yeah. a given weekend so and building up that reputation within the industry is uh, definitely you know worthwhile if your end goal is not to actually own a a brick and mortar you can still work within the space contract it however you would like and uh, the idea of representation from behind the vendor with is also very interesting because nobody really kind of talks about that or thinks about it because it's just this unique thing of well it's just a person-to-person -person interaction as long as somebody is happy with the personality that I have they'll be willing to sit down and deal with me I don't have to show representation for different things but creating a safe space where somebody knows they could come and sit down with you and even just talk about their experience and open up about their life a little bit and know that somebody the person talking to them is going to be able to receive that information 
and talk with them on that emotional level and understand what they were going through is is important. I don't know yeah, how important yet, but as we move into a game and a mindset about representation and being more open about this, I can't imagine this isn't something somebody will seek at a Magic Fest. And also, like, just the more pe different people integrate to Magic as a whole, the more important representation gets, mm -hmm. because across different identities, it just broadens people's horizons or gives people new horizons, Magic Pun. Yep. To just, like, get different perspectives outside of their own. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, representation across the board and showing other humans that this is a game we are humans this is a game for humans every type of human is welcome here exactly is yeah. very important at all levels there are horror stories of people walking into uh, lgs's and walking right back out based on experience and it it doesn't matter who that that person is or how they how identify this is an across the board thing yeah it just unwelcome experiences at LGS's and it even happens it continues to Magic Fest with the way a lot of people talk at Magic Fest it's still very much an LGS atmosphere carried over but the moment people begin to realize overall that we are all here to have fun everybody is here to enjoy themselves and this is this is a place for people to gather and as such people should be treated equally and fairly as people yeah you know, and representation can certainly play a role in that but Accountability is a big, big thing there too, as far as changing the community dynamics. I think is just holding people accountable for one day, like uh, just make other people uncomfortable because of something about that person, like mm -hmm. who is being made uncomfortable because of some intrinsic fact about them. Like, for example, uh, me being trans, in like just as an example. I don't know. I'm trying to say something here, but it's going off the rails. No, it's fine. I, I understand what you're saying. It's just yeah. people are put off by things yeah. they don't understand, don't understand or, or don't agree with. And the less rep representation you have at events like this, the harder it is to, exactly. to show that this is a game for everyone. Yes, yeah. which is why it's so great seeing, like, my Twitter right now is Trans Magic Player Central. It's fantastic. <laughs> like, yeah. Just the, the view I wish I'd had, like coming up in this game because mm -hmm. i spent a long time playing this game and just being totally miserable mm -hmm. and just trying to prove that i had worth by being good at the game mm -hmm. for like just because i didn't see uh, a future for myself in uh, like we I don't started know what, playing when this was very much yeah. uh, a game for privileged white males Yes, yes, we did. And, and we are still playing this game and, and at a time when it is for privileged white males. But now yeah. you have so many more people coming up and playing this game that represents so many different parts of the human experience. Exactly. That, Wizard says, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, and those are the players. Yeah. But it should also be from the vendor side. Yeah. Players coming into an event who before like you felt terrible about that because they, there was no representation they felt there was no place now can take solace in the fact that there are other people out there championing the cause there are other people they can talk with about their experiences but there's yeah. nobody on the vendor side yet that can do the same uh, I, I do want to give a shout out to Liz Lynn because I know she also does the vendor thing 
Okay. I don't know her super well. I follow her on Twitter, but I do know she is also a trans gal vendor like me. Do you know a company she works for, by chance? Just I don't know uh, off the top of my head. So I do not. Okay. Unfortunately. Hopefully we can get that information out there yeah. via Twitter or maybe we'll put it in, in the podcast. So I, I think going back to the, the crux of this question, uh, representation as a vendor, as a goal, is yeah. is outstanding because we're just not seeing that yet. We're not bringing that, that to the people. And if there are some people out there that think that, oh, how could anybody be upset about representation in the game from either side of it? There are people out there that get upset that a vendor who works a 13-hour day has to eat a cliff Bar behind the booth and is doing so at a seat and not yeah. and not interacting with another human being because they are eating their lunch. There are people that get upset about this. So to think that there are people that, that care that don't care about the trans right issue and you don't understand how they are or why they are upset about it, remember, eating is a crime behind a booth to some people. Oh, geez. So, I have not encountered that. It, it only comes across outside the event when people complain about it, never on the floor. It is one okay. of those things you'll read in reviews about Magic Fest now that go up on Reddit or on Twitter. Oh, well, so this, this person had to do this human function to continue doing their living thing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, how rude. Exactly. <laughs> Imagine getting mad at a human for wanting to live. Right? Yeah. And, and live happily. And that's what this issue is at, at, at the start and the finish. All yeah. Right. And so, I, like I said before, I think rep, representation at Magic Fest from the vendor side of things as a goal is super admirable. And I'm, I'm glad that we're able to have somebody on the cast who's uh, pushing for this. And I'm, I'm kind of bummed I hadn't been introduced to Liz Lynn before and know that she's doing this as well because we would love to, to champion a cause like that as well. Yeah. So, you know, shout-outs where due. Yeah. Um, so we'll take it back now from, from goals to uh, the resale side of things. So oh, yeah. open marketplaces... And when I say that, I mean eBay, Facebook, TCG Player, and they're open because the market sets the price on these cards. It's not a, it's not a vendor website. Uh, do these yeah. work best for you as a small vendor, or are they helping you at all in regards to pricing uh, on the resale side of things? They definitely do help me a lot in various ways. I haven't done too much on eBay yet, honestly. I want to do more on that since I've heard from uh, Brap who's a, an old hand at this that some things oh, just yeah. move better on eBay. Mm-hmm. Like the higher-end things. Yes, uh, and it's very easy to prove to people what the market price is on high-end old-school cards when you can point to eBay closed, or sold listings and say, look, this is the price in reality. Yeah. It's not what's on TCG Player for this card. That's another function I love about eBay is just seeing what things are selling for and when they're selling for. Mm-hmm. When something's ambiguous about a TCG player price, like when I see the market price is different than the lowest listing, mm-hmm. that's a good thing to check for sure, too. Yeah. So are you mainly, when you sell online, are you mainly mm-hmm. through TCG player or have you done any Facebook sales yet, either in the marketplace or just to individuals in the, the greater Vermont area? Uh, mainly through TCG player. I do get some traffic through my store's facebook page okay where i'll just like meet up with someone they'll message me the list of stuff they want and sell them to sell to them that way mm-hmm. i haven't tried like listing in groups yet though i just yeah it has not crossed my mind yet i guess okay and you know there are a number of groups to sell in depending on what you're doing sometimes 
it is a burden to have to be in four or five groups because, oh, I have foreign cards, so they go in this Facebook group. I have old school cards, so they go in this one. So it is time consuming and a little bit of a hassle there. And then it eventually just floods your Facebook feed when people yeah. start posting their own stuff. Um, and uh, to bridge us to uh, our eighth question, I have a, a 7.5 on this list. Okay. Uh, still in regards to sales. So being a, a local vendor for us is a little unique right now because we don't have a lot of stores, if any, that actually have singles in their own cases. You and another vendor in the area represent uh, outside vendors internal to a store. So you don't actually have cards in a case at a store. You actually can come in for F&Ms and events to the store we used to play at. Mm. And one of the malls up here also has these weekend card shows. And it's usually sports card vendors and then uh, both you and an additional TCG vendor. Those avenues as somebody who's doing this you know, buying collections and churning, uh, that kind of stuff to buy a list or, or Facebook. How has the physical side of things kind of worked out, let's say over the, the last few months, instead of a blanket from the beginning? Yeah, okay. Well, the physical side of things, just talking about vending at F&M and the local card show, has not been that good. Uh, I don't know. I think the card show is because most of the other vendors have diversified, so they have sports memorabilia and other things, because it is a sports card show primarily. Mm -hmm. But it just doesn't seem like I'm getting the um, the audience I need to sell enough there. Mm -hmm. And just local magic in general has felt like it's shrinking to me for a long time. Okay. And I've noticed that uh, like I'll just have a lot of the same stuff week to week and people don't really if they didn't want it last week they don't want it this week kind of oh. thing so most of my prospects have been online so far as okay. far as sales go but for in-person stuff has been great for networking I will say that it's been okay. really good for that and also picking up new things has been it's been helped by that a lot oh, so just having the, at least the physical representation there has been yeah worked out for you in some regard which is good to know yeah. Uh, now, uh, we've talked about the uh, the cards and cases, and you know, as I've come up and bought stuff from you, I've asked you about how you you code things. You have some of your TCG player inventory in the case, and uh, inventory that isn't on TCG player in the case. How do you determine the difference between those two? Um, it a lot of it depends on uh, what it's selling for on TCG versus like. I guess it really, uh, it's more about like the lower value things, mm -hmm. like for $1 to $3 things that I can sell to someone in person for like 3 bucks and hand off versus right. having to... You'll lose your ass on fees to TCG. Yeah, exactly. That's really the big difference. And also right. the other big thing is damage stuff mm -hmm. and like heavy play stuff. That stuff I don't list because it's just too... Like, too you, too risky. Yeah. yeah, despite the fact that you could put a photo up on TCG Player, when somebody receives it, they might still squabble over condition, regardless. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I get that. I, I unless I know it is, and I look at it and it is pack mint. Almost everything of mine that I would consider near mint goes listed as light play because it's hard to argue that 
the card that was listed as light play that is almost near mint is worse than light play. That's what I try to do as well, too. It, it keeps things sane for me. Oh. Yeah. Now, uh, you're somebody who has had the ability to have some... Uh, I don't know if the right word is old-school cards or some historical cards in the case. So uh, most recently I picked up from you was it the beta uh, Unholy Strength. Right, yeah. And you have, uh, is it Beta Bolts in the case, and the Beta Dwarven Miner? The uh, Alpha Bolts, and a Beta Dwarven Miner, and a Beta Lanoir Elf, which actually looks pretty near mint. Yeah. Yeah. Are are those cards also listed on TCG Player, or do they fall into a different niche because they are so old and so collectible because of that? They definitely fall into a different niche. They're kind of like um, just eye candy in my cases too to draw people's eye to what i have okay they don't really i had them on tcg for a long long time Mm -hmm. and i did sell one of those to it was funny to someone who i bought cards from at troll and toad he bought my elvish archer nice (laughs) but um that was it as far as the old school stuff went Mm -hmm. and i had not a i had quite a few things up there Okay. In that niche, yeah. Got it. So, uh, follow-up question, and I'm going to split this into two. So, for the old-school stuff that you have in the case, that's no longer in TCG Player. If you did want to get rid of it, uh, would you consider listing it on Facebook over buy listing? I would definitely try high-end. Okay. The Facebook group. Now, is that just to maximize, uh, purely to maximize profit, or do you think it would just be an easier out on Facebook than a a buy list and then having them deal with conditioning it uh for i think it would be definitely to uh, sorry that's right uh, i think it would be more profitable to do it that way mm-hmm. and also not all of the cards are like the near mint lanoir elf yeah i'm just like positive it's like nice mm-hmm. there's a lot of wiggle room that i wouldn't want to take a chance on with a buy list okay like dead and get getting downgraded that makes because sense. if you get dinged down one grade, it's all of a sudden just not worth it. Yes. I, I, it, it's an important uh, thing to keep in mind when you're doing buy listing. Yeah. Uh, for, for old school stuff or high end stuff like that. Now, in regards to the other cards in your case that aren't on TCG Player, those low value things, if let's say you just got tired of that stock and you wanted to churn it, that um, would be buy list city. Okay. Yeah. Because it's just easier to, to buy list off those cards for anything than it would be to list on Marketplace. Yeah, and like the time it takes to make those interactions also eats into the margins in a real way. Oh yeah, and this is something that is harder. It's the kind of thing that you would list on marketplace as you either take all or nothing. You don't want to piece it out. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And I, again, another another good thing. Like that's I see those go up all the time, and I'm like, why just why not piece it out? But it's because I'm not the one who's relying on this income. I don't have to attach, you know, my 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 lifestyle to my ROI on the amount of time it takes me to sort the cards, ship the cards, and, the, you know, stamp. Yeah, and, like, just for negotiations on the cards, too. Yeah? Yeah, definitely. Okay, so for our eighth and uh, craziest question, so <laughs> we've talked about uh, what you do locally, some of your, your goals, and you and I have talked, uh, not a little bit, but I like to talk a little more at, like, about your idea of attending uh, shows and cons. And I know for interstate cons, we're very sparse in Vermont. There are a handful, and some of them have 
uh, been jump-started. So they were gone for a year or two and they're coming back. There are some uh, over the lake in New York, but those are also kind of small. And I understand there's got to be a stepping stone before you can get to uh, larger things. But have you thought about kind of moving up that chain at all? I have. It's been something that I have not had the energy to do recently because of the A4, aforementioned winter sadness. Mm -hmm. But it is something I really want to do since that was one part of working at Troll and Toad I really did enjoy was going to shows. But it is definitely on my horizon if that makes sense, it's just oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a difference between uh, a show like a Magic Fest and a con like yes. Anime Boston as well that Definitely. we've tried to impress upon people. Uh, and so I guess we could kind of split the question here. If you're going to go to a Magic Fest or a show like that, that that's where you would want to be a hired gun. You would want to be working yep. for somebody else, right? Negotiate your contract, right? But what about conventions? Is that something you would want to look at to doing your own if you wanted to stay small, or would you want to be your own person at a larger event? I think I would want to just uh, go and do it like as Wandering Wolf Games, mm-hmm. just to like have that experience under my belt, and also just get more, um, I guess, experience as a whole that would help me negotiate being hired by someone else to do the thing yeah because if i can go and say hey i've i've run the show myself like a bunch of times i know what i'm doing it'll give me more leverage in that situation when applying to work at a booth because i'll just have more expertise in all the minutia of how things run Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that that makes sense uh and if you know looking for things yourself uh, for conventions like that you know start small and climb the chain or would you just want to kind of stay small and local uh, I'm a little bit wary about small and local because of my past experiences with a card show and just F and M. I feel like I'd want to. At the thing I vend at to start with, it needs to be something that attracts a good amount of outside people. I guess what I'm trying to say is not flea market small, but not anime Boston big, if that makes sense. Yeah, there's definitely a, a difference between the two. So when I was yeah. thinking about smaller cons, I was thinking more about... Uh, we have one in-state called Carnage that happens every year. It's basically just a tabletop thing, and you can get a dedicated audience there. That might even be a little small. Yeah. What I was thinking, because I don't actually know what we get there, but uh, there there used to be the Vermont Comic Con, and that right. ended, but something new is taking its place. That's actually interesting that you mentioned Comic Con, because I did work that show. It's... Uh, like I think the first three years in one capacity or another and I had a booth there mm-hmm. one year right after I had facial surgery yep. and I had looked like I had just gotten beat up but I had a really good year that year yeah it was yeah because they have a dedicated gaming room don't or didn't they and they did and yeah. I was in the room so that was huge yeah. like if it's something like that I would love to do it again because I was right in there with the tabletop, and there was lots of focus on magic. Mm-hmm. I think the big deal for me, and that's what I've been trying to get at but haven't been able to say, is the con needs to have a big, a lot of room for gaming, and that yes. needs to be a big draw. Mm-hmm. If the con doesn't center gaming, then I am going to avoid it initially until I can be sure that I can do well with tabletop at that con. You know, I, I understand and I agree to that. I think there's only one that really doesn't kind of fit that bill, and I think that's DragonCon, but that's become something, a, a, 
its own unique breed of thing. Yes. And people expect there to be tabletop vendors there, even if there isn't a game space. Yeah. So I mean, there's barely space to exist at Dragon Con. Or space, space for clothes, but yeah. Yeah. But like NYCC and SDCC aren't really the places you would want to go as a tabletop gaming vendor because people don't go to those cons to expect to interact with that kind of vendor. Exactly. So no, I, I think that makes sense, and, and uh, I like the phrasing around that. It's definitely a good oh, way to, to look at things. Uh, all right, so bonus question before we hit picks and then cut out. Uh, have you thought about 2020 at all and what you would like to do? Uh, I have. One thing I would really love to do is, like we just talked about, get at least one con under my belt. That's the small, small, like, minimum. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I want, like... I haven't settled the number of shows I want to do, but I want to do shows, get into the swing of things with that, mm -hmm. and just become more consistent in paying myself, honestly. Yeah. Just because right now it's been tight with the way collections have come in. I want to... I'm probably going to have to diversify a little bit, look into actually utilizing the and toys part of my name. Mm-hmm. Or I've been thinking of just, like, making... I don't know if you saw the wallet we got from that lot of cards when we were vending together. Oh, I, I did, but I don't remember. Yeah, yeah. It's just a wallet made out of Pokemon cards. I've been thinking about making stuff like that and just taking it with me to table. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Some Etsy-style like, stuff, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Just uh, diversifying a little bit from singles to keep myself afloat in mm -hmm. the times when... Uh, in crunch time when I just buy a collection, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I guess this kind of goes into that, but I should have asked before. You did mention cracking uh, booster boxes as part of your strategy for Super. Has booster cracking just gone gone away? So um, it's that point in time when I cracked the boxes for Super. Mm -hmm. the, the super rough math I did made the EV look worth it, mm -hmm. and it was there. But since that time, that set singles have tanked, and I haven't had a chance to reevaluate for the newest set yet to see if it's something I can okay. do. Uh, what about the other games? Did you ever crack packs for those, or I too hard without Distro? It's really hard without Distro. I did do it for Throne of Eldraine. I used my Judge Compensation from our local game store, yep. and that got me a bunch of singles to start with. Mm -hmm. Got an Oko and sold it immediately. Yeah, <laughs> perfect, yeah. Yeah, uh, but yeah, it is too hard without Distro to crack for singles and come out ahead, especially with standard stuff. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. And uh, like I said, I'm, I'm sorry we missed that that point before, but I guess for oh, no with the idea of a specific set of goals for 2020, booster cracking might may or may not be a part of that. So I, I would like to get to the point where I can have that as part of my inventory acquisition process because it just makes keeping standard and stock for the players so much easier because mm -hmm. right now it's tough because i don't have much for standard honestly yeah and when i do i have to list it on tcg player asap so i don't eat it yes uh, i think that that's also good to know if you don't have an active standard environment which we don't it i don't i don't know how often it even fires if it's once a month now i know at one both, store yeah i know the store I used to work at, they just do draft now. Yep. Yeah. So, like, the other ones that I know do uh, mix up draft and modern for FNMs. 
So I don't know anybody that actively does standard. That's within like a twenty minute or half an hour. Yeah. So you got you you got to drive real far from where we are to find standard, which is kind of a bummer, I guess. But for a vendor at least, because that's kind of yeah. bread and butter. We don't have a super big legacy environment, so even trading through cards like brainstorm is hard. Yeah, exactly. So, I think like I don't know it. It's super useful, and just like last year when we talked about the grading stuff and and that market, I think this is another one of those series. It's just people need to take the time to listen to to to, to learn about what they want to do, and if they're going to pursue this full time, take the advice from somebody who's been who's been all over this industry from a, a player to working for a mega vendor to working on their own now. And yeah. It's just, so many things you don't think about. Like I said, that Jason and I don't even think about because this isn't our primary gig. It's our side hustle. Mm. So bring bring on somebody who's doing this full-time is incredible, and I want to thank you for the time you've given to us. Oh, yeah, I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. I so, enjoyed this a lot. Oh, anytime. And uh, before we head out, uh, you and I talked about this, and you surprised me yeah. that you, you had a pick, and it was for Magic, so uh, yeah. you did spoil it, but not the reason. So your, uh, your pick for... Uh, this week on the podcast is Possibility Storm from Dragon's Maze, and I don't know how many of you saw Andrea Mangucci's latest—I don't know if it's his latest—but he has a Pioneer uh, video on Channel Fireball with yep. Possibility Storm featuring adventure cards, which I thought was really uh, had a lot of potential because it's just like rural aggro with the top end being Possibility Storm into Heart's Desire, which is uh, the 5-5 five, five Beast Fangs adventure. Okay, when you yeah, have yeah. End of the Infinite. So just having, not because of that deck in particular, that's just what brought it to the front of my mind. Mm -hmm. The this thing is... is also uh, an, ED, an EDH card, isn't it? Yeah. And it's uh, one printing. We did see a large spike recently, mm -hmm. up to where about where it is now. I th don't know why that was. I would imagine a little bit because of Pioneer and the Adventures already, but I think this yeah. one has room to grow because of EDH demand and also just for more things we see that like do uh, card types in a weird way, and by that I mean adventure creatures, split cards, for more potential this has to be built around mm -hmm. and like kind of like broken. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. It's a more broken version of a card that cares about types than Tarmogoyf, so to speak. Yeah. Because Tarmogoyf doesn't care about splits or adventures. It just cares it's more about... degenerate, I would say. I, I would agree with that, yeah. yeah. The the first time I heard about this was when people were moving through unlim uh, Enter the Infinite combo as cards got banned from that, and it was like Twiddle Storm at one point with Enter the Infinite, and then uh, I heard about Possibility Storm with Enter the Infinite, but I don't think it was the Gruel Aggro version yet, and I think that was in accordance with... Uh, and I brought this up on, on the cast, but the market price spike towards the oh, end of okay. November. I think those were the coinciding points. Gotcha. For that. Yeah. I do feel like we could see another spike in this if that if like this deck gets cracked and it becomes oh, yeah. a real thing. Cause like for games I was watching play out, like it's just this deck in particular. Mm -hmm. It's just a real rural aggro deck. Like turn two Rabble Master is a good play. Yeah, absolutely. And you you have this other angle to attack from. Mm-hmm. And I think something important about Pioneer as a whole is uh, we haven't had any super influential bannings over the last couple of weeks for the format has finally stabilized a little bit. And 
we're kind of hoping that it stabilizes through Theros Beyond Death, but we, we're going to see some changes as pros start working on this for their upcoming Mythic Championships. So Definitely. there are a lot of cards that are not going to be flat, but they might go up for a little while and then take off once they start hitting 5-0s because of testing for the Mythic Championship or even during that event. And it's going to be very important for people who want to cash in on Pioneer to stay tuned to that event and get out of things as quickly as possible in case they get banned on that Monday. Definitely agree. Also worth noting, you can't have your Oko possi your Possibility Storm Oko'd. Yes, that is actually huge. Uh, yeah. With somebody, we were joking at Modern last night that one of the best strategies uh, for Modern over the last couple of weeks has just been play mono enchantments because you can't Oko the deck that way. <laughs> yeah. There's no Opal Lessons, but I'm sure there's something you can do is just mono enchantments. Starfield, next get them. Yeah, the, the combo <laughs> deck. Uh, that's actually relevant to, uh, to Jason's pick, but we'll get there in a moment. I want to talk about mine. Uh, so, uh, my pick is Pack Rat. This is a card that I've been uh, watching for a little bit, and I thought it was going to take off sooner based on uh, mono black control or mono black aggro, but there were better, sh better shells for that deck. However, however, it is starting to see play now in just the Golgari aggro decks. It is. If it's good now, it's going to be good later because this card is a problem. If you yep. can play it on turn. It, when you have five mana. It also cannot be Oko'd, so it gets around that. It has seen Fringe Modern play in Jund decks, and this is an EDH card at a very low percentage. Uh, I did not know that about EDH. Yeah, yeah. this is... It's oddly good... Not good. It Oddly playable in EDH because it's a rat, so it goes in Rat Tribal. So oh, you have, gotcha, uh, Yep, or Ink Eyes as your yeah. your general, right? And so yeah, it makes just the the rat decks better. Uh, so it works with Swarm Yard, right? That thing regenerates rats. Yep, uh, it does. And it also works with uh, some of the re the reanimator generals, Balthor, Shieldred, cards like that. Because once you re once you bring back one, you can just make a ton of them, and it can cause a problem. Right. So as long as we have an an, uh, an aggressive deck that relies on black either in a devotion kind of way with theros beyond death coming out or uh, a card they just want another resilient threat in the deck this is a card that's just going to to keep climbing when i first started tracking this this was i think under two dollars on buy list there were like 225 or 250 last night on ck just kind of climbing the entire way and uh, per the uh, stocks graph it's a little flat right now but that's because we haven't had a lot of wins by Golgari. At top eights, maybe one or maybe as a one x or two x of deck. But if more people move on to this deck, then this card definitely floats uh, above five, closer towards uh, seven or eight, and it should be an easy and easy out for anybody playing this format that wants to play a, a base Thoughtseize deck. Yeah, and I just wanted to come back to what you said about devotion. Mm -hmm. I feel like this card has got a lot of potential moving forward since we know devotion is a mechanic yes. in Theros Beyond Death. So. If we see anything even like remotely close to Gary, mm -hmm. it's going to really pop off as far as potential pioneer shenanigans yes. go. And they've held off, uh, they being Watsi, have held off on banning Nykthos because of Theros beyond death. Yeah. So we don't know what we're going to get yet. It's a safe bet for that for that reason. For, for me, at least. And this shouldn't be hard to pick up. People had these for original Theros and they didn't do a whole lot afterwards. There's no reason to just like out them immediately unless you wanted to maximize on buy list. So there should be something you should you should be able to, to find pretty easily. Yeah. Alright, let me bring up a 
Jason's card. So, uh, Jason this week, Thirsty, uh, chose Starfield Mystic as his pick uh, for similar reasons to the others. Uh, as another card that deals with enchantments, this has immediate impact with Theros Beyond, deck, uh, beyond Death. And not just in Standard. There's uh, We've done a lot of talking about an Enchantress deck on the cast in Pioneer, and we've done a lot of talking in one of our Discords about an Enchantress deck in uh, Pioneer, and the number of CMC reducers, I think, is uh, two or three, and the number of Enchantresses is actually somewhere around five or six, but huh. I believe only three of them are enchantments themselves. Gotcha. So there's a good mix of cards that fuel this Pioneer Enchantress deck. The problem is, right now, we do not have... Aside from Starfield, a, uh, a high end to finish with. Starfield of Nyx is your combo engine. That's a known quantity. Star, uh, Starfield Mystic is not going to be doing a whole lot with with this combo because it's it's established. It's not really going to create anything new or give it some extra velocity. Uh, what Thirsty wanted to, to recognize is that this actually has the possibility to affect modern and legacy enchantress builds. Because we now have, we now might have enough good enchantresses, with the spoiler of the most recent one that costs two and a green, which is actually really important from Theros Beyond Death, that this could kind of change the shape of a deck like this in Modern, or possibly even a different Bogle shell. Within Modern, and then we're not legacy enchantress aficionados, but Starfield Mystic does have the ability to reduce the CM the CMC on that and let ch on the enchant uh, champions played there. In legacy and let that player kind of go off a little bit more or a little more consistently by having additional copies of a card like this so right now when we picked it it was at about a dollar 36 on retail uh, for market that's now up to 181 the conversation about this card started in early fall after core 2020 fallout had kind of stopped as being an obvious call forward to theros beyond death and the possibility that this was going to be a a player in standard which is why you see a very slow upward curve on this up until most recently when we started actually getting uh, images of some of these enchantments and you can see that in the stocks ref I'll bring it up real quick because I zoomed in a little more we have the market floating above the average so that means people are basically buying these as soon as they're listed huh. and so we'll eventually see the, uh, the average price catch up to the market request in, for demand that's really cool uh, when when Thirsty threw this card out in Discord, I, I just flat asked him, I said, do you think this is worth the pick? Do you think it has legs? And he was seeing it on some sites for close to a dollar, and he said at that point, there's no reason to not move in. This is a 3 to $5 card easily, as long as enchantments hold for hold true and standard. And if anything, if anything happens in Pioneer, who knows? Right. This card is in print right now, but Core 20 was not received very well. It is now being overshadowed by Eldraine, and th we know that Theros and uh, Ikoria are going to be just as powerful as Eldraine, if not more, because they were all, from Watsi, they were all developed at the same time at about the same power level. Huh. So there's going to be little reason to go back and try and open Core 20 for value when you can stay current on Standard and open those packs for value. So this is a card whose population might have peaked if it's not going to be in any of the, the specialty stuff that we see. Right. And I will say that it does combo nicely with my pick. It does. 
reducing possibility storm from from three and two red to two and two red. Yeah. Yeah. It 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 opens up a, a lot of shenanigans for for sure. So. Uh, once he gave me his reasoning, I, I I was able to get behind the the pick a little more. I, I thought it was defensible when the cut when the card was sub a dollar, but I wasn't sure about uh, over a dollar. So I'm, I'm glad he gave me some some solid reasoning for this thing. And it's nice that all of our picks kind of align in the in the pioneer world where we're just teetering on the edge of everything going. Yeah. Like we've been we've been holding, and this format is either going to go or or not. And I think we're all kind of banking on it going. Historic's going to get tossed to the side, and we're just going to be mono pioneer for financing right for the next good number of months. Has historic impacted prices on anything you've noticed? Because I would imagine that it's mostly just online arena mm-hmm. playing it. That's it, really. I didn't. I honestly forgot that the format was a thing until I saw a tweet by Jeff Hoogland go by talking about how historic was technically gate kept behind like some number of clicks on arena you had to like dig to find the format yeah it was like for a while you had to just enter the play like play random person queue with a, a historic deck and then it would match you up with someone else with a historic deck yep. but they didn't tell you that specifically i oh, found okay. out about it from a tweet from someone from noxious okay and I was like, I didn't even know you could play Historic yet. Yeah. But now we do have uh, Ranked Historic. And I think that's it. I don't think we have events on Arena yet. But we do have the option to play Historic Traditional Ranked. Yeah. Which is is fun. But I don't see it being a mover and shaker as far as prices go. Yeah. The only information I have about Historic outside of arena is anecdotal from modern players talking about the advent of pioneer yeah as a playable format before historic was and how laughable that was and why anybody would play historic over pioneer in paper yeah i don't see it translating to paper honestly because just for that reason yeah you have your old standard cards you could still play them in pioneer you don't need to worry about historic and that was our concern originally before the announcement of Pioneer was that people just wouldn't care because you could play all those cards in Modern too. But I mean, hey, if Historic does take off in paper, I've got I've got a ton of Hidetsugu second rights, so I'm ready to go. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot they just added that to the format. Yeah. Oh man. No, uh, but I think that covers it for the end of this cast. Is there awesome. You, if there's anything more you wanted to talk about? Uh, no, I think that covers it. Thank oh. you. Oh yeah, no problem. Uh, this is great. Oh, yeah, and we thank you for coming on and giving us some of your time. So uh, for us over here, uh, we are at MTG Cabalcast on Twitter and Patreon. We have decided what we are going to do for our giveaways, and we, we will be announcing that soon, though we will have one kind of holdover, quote-unquote, giveaway from 2019, which we'll, we will be announcing. So if you're not a, a, a patron yet, please do so, because it's going to be a pretty decent giveaway for an end of year. Uh, I personally am at Halt I am Reptar on Twitter, and you can be found on Twitter at uh, Miss underscore Play underscore underscore. Right. Yeah. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye.